while British troops were landing in America to enslave American citizens, Patrick Henry rose before Virginia's patriots to put forth a resolution to prepare the people to defend their liberties. He concluded his speech with these compelling words. Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. His resolution passed unanimously. Several years ago, a number of friends that I had worked with in the pro-life movement decided to run for the United States Congress. There was never any real hope that they could win. America was and is way too far down the socialist humanist rabbit hole for an unabashed Christocrat, as founding father Benjamin Rush proudly referred to himself as, to ever be elected to federal office. But we did hope that in the process of running and presenting our vision for change, the seeds for reformation for a second American revolution, if you will, could be planted. To help facilitate this, I produced a campaign video that presented that vision, not only for the sanctity of human life, but also related to issues of taxation, land ownership, the limits of governmental power, care for the poor, all manner of social, economic, and governmental issues that, as our nation has come to understand and practice them today, represent a profound departure from the truths of the Bible and the system of government that our founders intended. My concern for our country has only increased in the intervening eight years. Short of a spiritual revival on the order of the Great Awakening that gave rise to the American experiment in Christian liberty, I have little hope that this country can turn from its self-destructive path. Nevertheless, the message in the video we produced is still true, still powerful, and has never been more relevant.
I'm re-releasing it here with some slight modifications in the same hope that by sowing the seeds of truth, a new harvest of Christian patriots might arise. Perhaps it will happen in a new country the Lord will bless in Africa or Asia or in some other part of the so-called third world where the Spirit of God is doing such a great work. Perhaps it will come after America is judged and brought to its knees in ruin. As a new generation of founding fathers and mothers is raised from the ashes of the old. Wherever and however it happens, I do know this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, meaning where Jesus is made Lord in the hearts and lives of the people, there is, there will be liberty. So back to our program. If you're a thinking, biblically informed Christian, you know that there's something radically wrong with America today. The questions are, how did we get here? And what must we do to get out of the mess that we're in? Politicians in both parties keep giving us empty promises, telling us how their latest governmental program or legislation is going to save us. But things keep getting worse. The deficits continue. The national debt goes up. Test scores go down. Crime flourishes while justice is dying. Millions of American jobs have been shipped overseas and now it often takes two incomes for a family just to survive. In the next half hour, we're going to look at America's problems and then we're going to consider some real solutions, some simple solutions that at first may seem extreme. But I want you to understand something. They wouldn't be even the least bit radical to most Americans just two or three generations ago. These solutions are based on the principles hailed by Patrick Henry, George Washington, John and Samuel Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Booker T. Washington, and Teddy Roosevelt. Principles of liberty, self-government under God, freedom from government tyranny and intrusion, freedom from oppressive taxes. The ideas we're about to examine are only as radical as those that gave birth to America. In the early 1600s, the Pilgrims began the steady stream of men, women, and children who immigrated to America with one driving passion, the desire to be free. One glaring exception to the pursuit of freedom was American slavery. Tens of thousands of men, women, and children were brought from Africa to America against their wills and enslaved. America paid dearly for this horrifying betrayal of the principles of freedom. Nevertheless, for over 250 years, those seeking freedom hazarded their lives crossing the Atlantic. Others risked their lives crossing the uncharted Allegheny Mountains. Others endured the bitter hardships of crossing the howling plains of the Midwest. And still others ventured their lives crossing the dizzying Rocky Mountains. All for one thing, freedom. Religious freedom, political freedom, financial freedom, family freedom. For generations, against all odds, families took their lives in their hands to carve out a place where they and their descendants could be free. This love of freedom, coupled with hatred of government tyranny, 
eventually compelled the colonists to defend their liberties and revolt against British oppression. For 150 years before the War of Independence and for the majority of 150 years afterwards, America lived with unparalleled opportunities and freedoms. And what do you think the tax burden was on the average American while we became the greatest, most free, most prosperous nation on earth? Between one and three percent. Think about it, only one to three percent in total taxes. In that atmosphere of freedom, freedom from tyrannical laws, freedom from oppressive taxes, America became the wonder and envy of the world. The principles of liberty and self-sufficiency based on Christian ethics were so deeply rooted that even during the Great Depression, men traveled from city to city to find jobs rather than resort to crime. We had no drive-by shootings. You could go to sleep at night in our cities with your door unlocked without fear of being robbed or murdered in the night. Today, in many areas, you aren't even safe on the streets in broad daylight. What has gone wrong? During the Great Depression, the federal government made a fatal change in direction. The federal government abandoned the principles of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, principles of individual freedom and responsibility, and the government arrogated to itself the role of provider and caretaker. Federal politicians rejected the tried and true principles of liberty and justice put in place by George Washington, Patrick Henry, Samuel Adams, and other founders, and took on a messianic role, embracing the foolishness of Marxist socialist thought. In other words, the government decided it would become our savior. Any efforts the government made to be our messiah were doomed from the start. We know the savior was born in Bethlehem, not Washington, D.C. Government as savior programs blossomed in the 1930s and continued to grow over the next three decades, exploding in the 1960s when LBJ launched his so-called Great Society and his so-called War on Poverty. Now, with over 60 years of history to study, with two and even three generations of able-bodied people on welfare, we see the stark truth. LBJ's great society isn't so great. His programs have all but destroyed the people and institutions they were supposed to save. Let's look at the impact of welfare on one segment of American society, a segment of America that the war on poverty was supposed to rescue, African Americans. In 1950, the illegitimacy rate in the black community was about 14%. Today, according to government statistics, 67% of black children are born out of wedlock. That's two out of three children. The vast majority of the mothers are on welfare. And if a mother marries the father of her child, the payment is cut. In other words, she gets money to live an irresponsible life, but loses money to be responsible by getting married. Our insane government policies promote immorality and reward irresponsibility. And then what happens to these children born out of wedlock? According to the Justice Department, one in four black males under 25 is in jail, in prison, on parole, or on probation. One in four. More African-American adults 
are under correctional control today, in prison or jail, on probation or parole, than were enslaved in 1850, a decade before the Civil War began. And today, a black child born today has less of a chance of being raised by both parents than a black child born during slavery. And this cancer isn't just eating away at black America, but all America. The illegitimacy rate among white Americans is skyrocketing, and we can expect a similar impact on the nation. The figures are clear and incontrovertible. Tens of thousands of young men, white, black, Hispanic, and Indian, who grow up in fatherless homes because of our failed welfare system, now fill our jails and prisons. But the insanity of welfare doesn't just impact crime. Study after study has shown that children who grow up with two parents do better in school and that they are more successful and prosperous as adults. The reality is that the government welfare experiment at the federal and state levels has failed miserably. It must be completely dismantled and replaced with truly compassionate poverty relief that is personal and voluntary, not government-run. But we know the welfare savior agenda of government isn't the only cause of America's chaos. We have witnessed something far more treacherous and life-threatening to our republic, the betrayal of our Christian roots. For two generations now, thousands of American judges and legislators at the federal, state, and local level have self-consciously abandoned and attacked America's Judeo-Christian foundation. The founders clearly understood and proclaimed that America was being built on the principles of biblical thought and law. George Washington boldly declared, it is impossible to rightly govern in this world without God and the Bible. The Declaration of Independence stated a clear belief in God the Creator, God the Lawgiver, God the Judge, and God the Provider. Moreover, the Founders plainly stated that our rights and duties came from God and His law, not the state and its rules and regulations. This point is so critical and so in opposition to the spirit of our present age that it's worth emphasizing. The majority of our founders understood that unaided human reason, the foundation stone for the humanist, could have never established nor could it sustain a democratic republic like America. God, and by that I mean the one true God of the Bible, and the principles He's revealed to us in Scripture have got to be preeminent, yes, in the hearts of the people, but also as guiding lights to our system of law. Consider just a few of the many statements our founders and subsequent political leaders have made concerning this issue of God and government.
But perhaps there's no better way to illustrate this key issue than to invoke the patron saint, pardon the expression, of the humanist movement, Thomas Jefferson and his famous phrase, the wall of separation between church and state. These words, you may be surprised to know, appear nowhere in either the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. Our third president penned them on New Year's Day, 1802, in a letter to some Christians who were concerned about their freedom to practice their Baptist faith in a largely non-Baptist state, Connecticut. Jefferson, who admittedly was far from being a true Christian, at least at this stage in his life, nevertheless meant only to assure them that the government had absolutely no right to regulate their system of worship. Men are free to practice their religion, or lack thereof, with impunity from the state. That he didn't mean the opposite, that the state needed to wall itself off from Christianity, as the ACLU and others like to cram down our throats, can be seen in one simple and oft-neglected fact of history. Two days after writing those words, Jefferson attended church services held, in of all places, the House of Representatives. That government buildings were used to promote the Christian religion was not at all unusual. As the Library of Congress, in an exhibit entitled Religion and the Founding of America, recently noted, it's no exaggeration to say that on Sundays in Washington, during the administrations of Thomas Jefferson and of James Madison, the state became the church. The gospel was also preached in the Supreme Court chambers. In George Washington's farewell address, he warned his fellow Americans, don't call the man a patriot who subverts religion and morality. Yet tragically, it is unrighteous judges and legislators who claim to be patriots that have subverted religion and morality and have promoted evils that two generations ago were unthinkable. For example, abortion. Nearly 47 million innocent children have been slaughtered by abortion. The Supreme Court scoffed at the sacred commandment, you shall not murder, and legalized abortion in all nine months of pregnancy, including the now infamous partial birth abortion where a live child is completely born, except for the head, and then the living child's head is collapsed by sucking out the baby's brain. This is nothing short of murder. It is a baby! It's a baby! The removal of prayer and the Ten Commandments from government schools came from the courts. Now our schools have drugs, knives, guns, and metal detectors. The flood of pornography, abusing women, children, and men, has come through judges and legislators. Congress repeatedly funds so-called art that mocks Christianity and the Lord Jesus Christ, such as a crucifix immersed in a vat of urine. Congress passed a law giving special rights to drug addicts and people with deadly diseases brought on by their own behavior and judges, legislators, and school officials keep siding with militant homosexuals who want to destroy the institution of marriage and recruit our children into their horrifying practices. No matter what judges in Hawaii or anywhere else say, two men or two women can never be married. God made marriage as a sacred bond between a man and a woman. The tragic truth is that most of the destructive forces eating away at America were unleashed on us by federal or state judges and politicians. 
those called to lead and protect our country are destroying her and leading us into chaos and violence. Those who swore an oath to defend the Constitution have trampled it. Government should be our quiet, righteous servant. It has become an arrogant, often evil master. There is one other bit of irony I should point out here. Not only has the government fought against our sacred liberties, it has forced us to pay for it. You and I are paying for our own demise and the demise of America. Think of it. The welfare fiasco, you pay for it. The millions of children born out of wedlock or to illegal aliens, some of whom will grow up to assault law-abiding citizens, you pay for it. The sodomite propaganda in government schools, you pay for it. The crucifix in a vat of urine, you helped pay for it. Or how about paying farmers not to grow crops or corporate welfare subsidies or government helping businesses with overseas deals or the billions squandered in disaster relief programs? When the most powerful hurricane to ever hit America slammed into Galveston, Texas in 1900, killing over 6,000 people, not a single survivor thought to look to the federal government for help. Contrast that to the much weaker hurricane that hit New Orleans in 2005, revealing the corruption and poor planning of the local government as regards the system of levees meant to protect the below sea level city. Almost everyone blamed the federal government and demanded that it spend billions of dollars to bail them out. All of this you pay for. Federal bureaucrats are stealing people's land and you pay for it. Federal agents are trashing our Fifth Amendment rights and you pay for it. Mediocre or failed education, you pay for it. Millions of children after 12 years of government schooling can't identify Africa on a map. Millions more can't read when they graduate. Government schools in cooperation with groups like Planned Parenthood are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to give 14-year-olds condoms or the pill without parental knowledge or consent. Kids graduate knowing how to use a condom, but they can't even read the label. And you pay for all of this insanity. Yes, you pay for your own parental rights to be betrayed. Our government protects nations that outlaw the Bible and murder Christians for practicing their faith, and you help pay for it. Federal and state bureaucrats intruding into our lives. Federal and state regulations strangling small businesses. Federal and state agencies choke the life out of our constitutional rights while squandering our money on all manner of inefficient, socialistic boondoggles. And we pay for it all. And just how much do we pay for this abuse? If you're an average wage earner who owns a home, According to the Americans for Tax Reform, your government costs you about 50% of your earnings. Think of it, 50%. You pay federal income tax, state income tax, property tax, social security tax, utility tax, excise tax, tax on your phone, gas tax, car registration tax, inheritance tax, sales tax. I could go on and on. And when you pay sales tax, it's a tax on top of all the hidden taxes on an item that you're buying. In other words, we're being taxed on tax. If this is freedom and justice, George Orwell's 1984 
has become reality. One recent government study by the Congressional Budget Office found that when our children are adults, they'll have to fork over 84% of their income in taxes to keep the failed government savior programs going. 84%. And remember, the federal government is already the nation's largest employer. Nearly two million bureaucrats live off the sweat of your brow. And for what? Let me ask you, when the federal government was forced to shut down for six days in 1995, did you miss it? Friend, 50, 60, and 80% of your income going to taxes is not freedom, it's slavery. And there's only one solution, freedom. That's right, freedom. We must return to the principles that gave birth to America. We must return to the liberties that made America great. When the pilgrims crossed the Atlantic and the settlers risked their lives crossing mountain ranges, when runaway slaves traveled the Underground Railroad, they weren't seeking government jobs or government entitlements or government food or Medicare. No, all they wanted was freedom freedom based on Christian values. They believe that it's far better to be a struggling free man in your own home on your own property than to be a well-fed slave laborer. For instance, do you own your own home or do you hope to someday? Land and home ownership are essential to freedom. But if you paid off your mortgage tomorrow, you still wouldn't own your home. Because if you're unable to pay your property taxes, you will lose your home to government bureaucrats. This isn't home ownership and freedom, it's medieval serfdom. What is serfdom? The essence of being a serf is that you live on the land, you bear your children on the land, and build your house on the land, but you never really own the land. And if you don't pay the feudal master his annual tax, he drives you from your home. The truth is, because of annual property taxes, you never really own your home. But it's worse than that. When you and I are paying 50% of our income in taxes, we are not free men and women. What is the essence of slavery? That you labor for the benefit of another against your will. You and I have to work about six months a year for the government. And for what, I ask you? So that the government can redistribute your money to other people. Most federal politicians call it compassion. Our founding fathers would have called it theft. Yes, we should all be compassionate towards people less fortunate than ourselves. Genuine concern for the poor, for the widow and orphan, is foundational to true Christian piety but it should be properly addressed by individuals, churches, and private organizations. It's wrong for Congress to force us to pay for their favorite charities. Politicians may call it economic justice, but in the end, it's tyranny. It's not freedom, and it ultimately does far more harm than good. It's as if we working Americans have become the slave labor force for some grand federal plantation. And who runs these federal savior schemes, this federal plantation? Our political masters, a bunch of well-heeled socialists who are gaining power and wealth exploiting 
class envy. Consider this illustration. If someone broke into your house, tied you up, and took half your jewelry, half your furniture, half your money, half your DVD collection, half your clothes, and half your food, and on the way out he told you, most of this isn't for me, it's to help other needy people. What would you call him? You'd call him a thief. And if that same thief got elected to Congress and came around with its IRS agent and took half your jewelry, half your furniture, half your money, half your DVD collection, half your clothes, and half your food, what would you call him then? The honorable thief? It feels the exact same way on your wallet, whether it's theft outside the law or the confiscation of our property using the law, in the end there isn't much difference. Our liberty and the God-given fruit of our labors is being commandeered by our government, supposedly for the benefit of others. Perhaps one of the biggest robberies committed by the federal government is this, the social security system. Of all the money you have paid in taxes into the social security system, how much do you think is sitting in the Social Security Trust Fund for you to use when you retire? $100,000? Perhaps $10,000? How about $1,000? The truth is, not one dollar, not one red cent. It's all gone. Over half of your money goes to make the monthly payments of those currently receiving Social Security checks. The rest has been pilfered and spent by the politicians in Washington. It's gone. If business executives did that with their employees' retirement fund, the guilty would go to prison. And the government doesn't even include these stolen Social Security funds as part of the debt. Current congressmen have embezzled our money for years and squandered it. Moreover, the government is telling us that just a little over a decade from now, the entire Social Security system will be bankrupt. Medicare is almost bankrupt now. Consider this. If you invested $1,000 a year for six years for your newborn child, and if that investment made an average 8% interest, when your child is 65 years old, he or she would have $857,000. Here's another fact. If an average wage earner born in 1970 put their 15.3% FICA tax away in modest savings accounts or mutual funds or annuities, they would retire on $11,000 a month. If they died at age 65, they could will the entire amount to their adult children. But you can't will one penny of the money you've paid into the Social Security system. It's all gone. How dare Congress force us to pay into a lucrative retirement system for its own members while we're required to invest in a completely separate system that's on a bullet train to bankruptcy? Right now, I'm 53 years old. Frankly, I'm not expecting to ever get back any of the money I was forced to give the government for my retirement. But if you're in your 40s or younger, you will almost certainly never see one dime of the money you earned that was confiscated by Congress for Social Security. This madness must end, and there is a solution. We can make Social Security personal, private, and voluntary, while caring for those who are currently dependent upon it for their retirement. In other words, we must support the needy elderly, 
But we, and most certainly our children, shouldn't be forced to pay into a system that we now know is going bankrupt. To do so is both irresponsible and immoral. And here we come to a fundamental question we all need to address. After all, in theory at least, our government is a reflection of our own worldviews and desires. Would you be willing to give up your favorite government subsidy to not expect the federal government to help you with anything if you or your children never had to pay another penny in land tax, federal income tax, or social security tax? It can be done. That's the way this country was built. That's why the war for independence was fought, why men and women were willing to pledge their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor for the cause of true Christian liberty. The reality is that Social Security, corporate welfare, the deluge of government programs, this whole federal plantation that was supposed to save us has in fact enslaved us. When we are paying 50% of our income to prop up this house of cards, we are not free. We have become high-tech serfs, a slave labor force for a socialistic system that steals and then sells the fruit of our labor to buy votes and keep its engines running. You may be asking, if we eliminate the federal income tax, how will the federal government function? It's simple. If the federal government is made to stay within its constitutional boundaries, its budget will be radically reduced in size. Consider this fact. The federal savior schemes cost about 62% of the budget while federal income tax and FICA tax bring in about 71% of the revenue. If we eliminate the federal savior schemes, we instantly eliminate the need for the federal income tax and the FICA tax. The federal government can then be funded by the constitutional means of impost fees, excise fees, duties, and tariffs. The Constitution further authorizes the states to make up any shortfall, should there be one. For example, the states could use a sales tax, Think of all the money this would free up for the economy. Think of all the money it would free up for your family. You may be asking, how will we pay for education? The same way we did for America's first 250 years. If we eliminated these oppressive taxes, billions of dollars would be freed up so that parents could choose how, when, and where to educate their children. For those who wonder if this will work, remember, it's the way America was built. In 1812, a French historian traveled to America and testified he couldn't find one person in a thousand who couldn't read and write and do arithmetic. Plowboys, woodsmen, and mothers read Homer's Iliad and Plutarch's Lives. All this without government schools and without land taxes to pay for education. Today, after 13 years of compulsory education paid for by the government stealing our money, a third of the children who graduate are illiterate. Government schools are a colossal failure. They are a huge waste of money and an intrusion into your rights as a parent. Remember, your children belong to you, not the government. We need to end the failed monopoly government has on education which will bring competition and excellence 
and will release a flood of money for church schools, private schools, home schools, business-run schools, technical schools, cooperative schools, as well as scholarships and community public schools for the truly needy. Wouldn't you like your money freed up so you could put your children in the school of your choice? And if you don't have children in government school now, why should you be forced to labor and pay for someone else's children? That is slavery. You may be asking, how will we care for the poor? The way we did for hundreds of years. The family, the community. Those who are able-bodied but lazy must remember the biblical proverb, if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. But for the truly needy, the elimination of income tax, land tax, and social security tax will unleash billions of dollars to once again enable us to show true compassion to our extended families and neighbors through personal gifts, our churches, civic groups, business charities, the community chest, and any other way we as free Americans see fit. As a free people, we should rely on our own judgments on how to care for the poor and needy far more than we should trust the bureaucrats. Will these necessary adjustments lead to some tough times and choices? Of course, though far less catastrophic than keeping to the path we're presently on. God will give us the wisdom and strength to do what's right if we commit our ways to Him. Just as He gave the pilgrims and pioneers the strength to build this nation on the bedrock of freedom. We can either choose to free ourselves from this mess, or we can witness the collapse of our nation, one that could easily make the Great Depression pale in comparison. We can restore freedom now with significant but manageable sacrifices, or our children and grandchildren will experience severe hardship when this massive government savior scheme implodes. Do you think I'm overstating our peril? Well, consider this. Every child born today will be saddled with a share in our national debt that has swollen to unbelievable and unsustainable proportions. No one knows the actual total. Besides the $8.5 trillion in known debt due to deficit spending, there are many, many more trillions in unfunded liabilities, mostly in regard to Social Security and Medicare. If we take the conservative estimate of $45 trillion in total debt, every newborn child starts off $150,000 in the hole. And the number is actually higher when one considers that the large and politically powerful boomer generation will likely be able to avoid having to pay their fair share. How dare Congress? How dare we? obligate our children and grandchildren with this Mount Everest of debt. If you want to keep the federal plantation in full bloom, if you want to see the religion of humanism inculcated in our schools and codified in our laws, while our Christian liberties are first marginalized and then destroyed, if you're willing to exchange your God-given and blood-bought liberty for the warmed-over gruel guaranteed by a socialist dystopia, then turn this video off, try and forget what you've heard, and go back to the bread and circuses our culture has become so adept at producing. Likely the revolution will be televised. But if the echoes of Patrick Henry's famous speech 
resonate in your heart. If you can embrace the brave and godly sentiment expressed in the New Hampshire state motto, live free or die, then it's time to obey the scripture's admonition. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Changing all this may well be the impossible dream, but what's impossible for men is possible with God. It's said in truth that people always get the form of government they deserve. Let the second American Revolution begin first in your heart. Cry out to God for revival and then reformation. Sow the principles of this video into yourself and then into others. Water them in prayer, in repentance, and with the great writings and ideas, past and present, that advocate a Christocratic worldview. Purpose to accept no handouts from the government. Join a church that takes the Great Commission seriously, that is not just getting people saved, but is actively working to disciple real nations, teaching them to observe all the things that Christ has revealed to us in the Scriptures. Develop a Christian mind and then vote accordingly. Align yourself with like-minded people and organizations. Join the signers of the Declaration of Independence in committing your life, your fortune, and sacred honor for the cause of true Christian liberty. Let freedom ring again.